I want to begin today with a provocative quote. Uh, The name of this quote or the post is The Cult of Culture. It's by Kenny Luck. I'll put it up on the screen. I don't want us to miss it. Watch out for the world. It's after you. It wants you in its cult following, wooing you with pleasures and power, fame and fortune, the nexus of excess. The cult of our culture provides the perfect distraction from what's really important and lures us with empty lusts and beliefs and religions. Well, it may not seem like an organized cult, but behind the apparent chaos and disorder, that's what we see today, is an enemy pulling the strings to entangle our mind, our body, and our soul. It's easy to overlook that we are targeted and marketed with endless desires to capture our time, our energy, and our money. Get this last line. The world wants your worship, so you don't worship the one who deserves it. Mm. We're jumping back into our summer series. We're in 2 Timothy. We're calling it Standing Firm. In our first message from chapter 1, we were urged to fan the flame of faith, so we remain faithful when tough times come. In our message for today, we're going to discover this truth. Focus on good doctrine and be an example of faithfulness. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. Uh, We'll read verses 13 through 18 together. Let's read. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Thanks for reading together. Well, in light of spiritual opposition, in light of the myriad of cultural forces arrayed against us, we're given four charges in this passage. Number one, follow good doctrine. Uh, Meet me in verse 13 again. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. Here's the apostle Paul. He's nearing the end of his life and he's exhorting Timothy, a young pastor who's pastoring the church at Ephesus. And he wants Timothy to not only follow his example, but to be tethered to the truth he heard through Paul's teaching and preaching. That word follow is an imperative. It's a command. It means to hold on, to keep. Timothy was to hold on so tightly to the truth that it would never be snatched away from him. 
Now, let me take us to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. This is quite a picture by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That word pattern refers to a standard, a form, an example a blueprint. It refers to biblical doctrine. It refers to a repeatable pattern, something that can be stamped over and over again. It was used of a horse, and as as he'd go through the ground, he'd leave footprints or horse prints behind, everyone the same. It was repeatable. Biblical truth is constant. It's timeless. Listen, our methods may change, but the message must not ever change. It's the same gospel which has been given over and over during the past 118 years of faithful ministry here at Edgewood. And as a pastor, it's not my job to come up with new truths but simply to explain and illustrate and apply the old truth for each new generation. Check out Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Check this, where the good way is and walk in it. And find what? Rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. The word sound means healthy or uncorrupted. So you already know this. We live in an age where people say this. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe it. Oh, whatever's true for you is true for you. You do you, I'll do me. It doesn't really matter. That's the age in which we live. But God's word is clear. It does matter what you believe because what you believe affects how you behave. And unhealthy teaching leads to unhealthy Christians. Friends, we are called to be steadfast in the scriptures so we don't cave or compromise on biblical convictions. Let me just give a brief scriptural survey, just five passages. I could have chosen a lot. I'm going to read them one right after another so we get the impact of them all together. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, hold fast what is good. 1 Timothy 1.10, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. Titus 1 verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in what? Sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. And Jesus, writing to a church, Revelation 2.25, only hold fast what you have until I come. Friends, contrary to what you may hear, theology matters. 
And churches that downplay doctrine do so to their own demise. I think I've mentioned this before, but many of us, many believers, many Americans hold to what we could call a salad bar faith, where they pick and choose their beliefs. Oh, I'll have some of that. Oh, God's love, I'll take a big portion of that. Uh, God's judgment, no thanks. Oh, God wants me to be holy, I'm going to pass. And so we put together our own beliefs for those things that we like, and we discard the rest. George Barna calls that syncretism, an ideology which merges otherwise incompatible, incompatible philosophies like this made-to-order worldview. He writes, syncretism does not rely upon logic or consistency because people are seeking comfort and security more than spiritual and intellectual consistency. Ooh, that's spot on. In a couple weeks, we're going to be asking everyone at Edgewood to complete a survey. It's the same survey that was distributed all across the nation. It's called the State of Theology Survey. This was developed by Ligonier Ministries. That's the ministry started by R.C. Sproul and also in conjunction with Lifeway Resources. This study was distributed broadly and the results were shared and I've referred to those many times. Well, we've been given the privilege of having that same survey Only we're going to give it to those of us here at Edgewood to take our theological temperature, and then we'll be able to compare how we're doing as a church with how people around the country are doing. Our mainspring young adults ministry, led by Pastor Kyle, seated over there, will be getting a head start on this. Uh, Pastor Kyle will be teaching through the Edgewood doctrinal statement this summer to our young adults. Now, in order to help us follow good doctrine, this fall, uh, we're going to be taking seven weeks to focus on what we believe, why we believe it, and how we can communicate it to those who don't believe it. Our emphasis will be all about a biblical worldview and apologetics. We're calling it unshaken and unashamed. In addition to our weekend services, uh, we're going to have our children's ministry, our junior high, our high school, mainspring, all focus on the same topics for seven weeks. And then we're encouraging all of our growth groups to study the same material for those seven weeks in the hopes that families together will be learning and discussing and applying these truths. In addition, we've invited Rick Magoo. Rick is president of Local Church Apologetics. He'll be leading a Saturday morning seminar right here in this space on Saturday, September 16th. And we're calling it Faith and Reason Made Simple. Some of you might know Rick. He's an annual presenter at Iron Sharpens Iron. Uh, He launched the Truth Conference where Josh McDowell, Jay Warner Wallace, and Chris Brooks have spoken. You'll be hearing more about that. So here's 
Paul in prison, about to die, about to be martyred, and his heart is for Timothy. So what is Timothy to do? He's to hold to the pattern of sound theology. How is he to do it? He's to follow the pattern of sound words in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Notice, a preacher must have faith in what is being taught and love for the people being taught. Jonah had only half of that right. He had faith in the message. He didn't care much for the people that he was called to preach to. See, a commitment to truth always requires faith and love. As we read in Ephesians 14, 4.15, we're to speak the truth in love. So we're to believe by faith. So in our desire for good doctrine, we must always move to greater devotion. Listen, if it just lives up here, that's not enough. It's got to get down to the heart and then out through the hands where we're living, where our belief affects our behavior. And notice, secondly, we're to behave in love. So truth should not only ground us, it should also move us to greater love. Correct doctrine should lead to charitable, a charitable attitude and charitable actions. Jude chapter 3, Jude is found right before the book of Revelation. We read these words, beloved Though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to what? Contend for the faith. Hold on. Defend it. That was once for all delivered to the saints. So we must contend for the faith without being contentious. We must be precise in our doctrine, but not pugnacious about it. One verse the Lord often brings to mind when I'm preparing to deliver a sermon is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, which reads like this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So as God's word is preached, it should propel us to greater faith and grander love. Now, having said that, we cannot remain neutral about moral matters in our culture any longer. We must be unshaken about what we believe and unashamed of the gospel and the moral mandates found in Scripture. Church, it's time for us to be convictional so we don't compromise or go quiet when the Bible has spoken clearly. By the way, I wanted to pass along something that I discovered uh, last summer. Uh, In July, I was riding my bike down by the farmer's market, and right next to the Scott County Jail, there was a tent set up, and I went over by this tent, and there were believers under this tent reading the Bible right in front of Scott County Courthouse. And it's called a Bible reading marathon. They started at 7 in the morning, the book of Genesis, and they read all day until they got to the end of the book of Revelation. 
Well, I joined them for about an hour and a half. Here's how it works. I was given a passage. I think I was in 1 Kings. I'm reading 1 Kings out loud. Somebody next to me was reading from the book of Esther. And so they have all these passages. By the end of the day, the whole Bible would be read. Interestingly, that takes place in all 99 counties in the state of Iowa every year. So that will be held Saturday, July 8th, 7 a.m. I encourage you to come anytime during the day and spend a half hour, an hour, or even longer reading the Bible out loud. Friends, it's we're time, it's we're called to focus on good doctrine and be an example of faithfulness. Notice, secondly, we're to fortify the good deposit. We're to guard it. We're to follow good doctrine and also guard The good deposit, look at verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Notice, we're not sufficient to do this on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within born-again believers. This also means inhabit. It's a fulfillment of what Jesus said in John 14, 17, words of Jesus. You know him, referring to the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Romans eight eleven: the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Paul said something similar in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you just look over at the last chapter of 1 Timothy, oh, Timothy, you can hear his heart. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. And so Paul had been given this treasure, this stewardship. It was entrusted to him, and now he's about to die, so he's passing this treasure on to the next generation. The word guard means to keep watch, to protect from loss or damage. It was used of a shepherd keeping watch over his flock. The word good in front of deposit means beautiful, excellent. It it refers to something that's precious and admirable. Friends, you do know that the gospel is beautiful. It is a precious investment that's been entrusted to us. This makes me think of Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings what? Good news. So we must not distort, dilute, or delete this good deposit. In addition, as Revelation twenty two eighteen says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, ooh, this is strong. God will add to him the plagues described in this book. So if we add something to the Bible, listen to verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. There's only two verses left after that in the book of Revelation. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The quotable C.S. Lewis 
has something to say about guarding this treasure. Check this out. Each generation of Christians must look to its beliefs. While truth itself is unchanging, the minds of men are porous vessels out of which truth can leak and into which error may seep to dilute the truth they contain. Listen to these words. The human heart is heretical by nature, and it runs to error as naturally as a garden to weeds. The heart that fails to cultivate truth and root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. I don't know if you think this way, but you may sometimes wonder like, hey, wonder what our pastors are thinking about. What, like, what charges them up? What, what makes them grief? What are they burdened about? Well, let me share something I'm burdened about. As churches and entire denominations depart from biblical Christianity, we must continually guard the good deposit which has been entrusted to us. Just this week, I'm aware of a church that just passed a statement affirming and celebrating the LGBTQ plus community, even changing their church logo to incorporate the colors of the gay pride flag. And then I read something from Randy Elkhorn. Randy Elkhorn is a prolific author, wrote a great book just called Heaven. He's a, he's a man who lives on mission. Check out what Randy said. A friend sent me a photo of the word pride in capital letters prominently displayed outside a church. Wow, he writes, this is scary. Pride is the root of all sins. But historically, most people have been ashamed of their sins, not proud of them. To commit or endorse sin, and then he lists a number of sins, greed, gossip, gluttony, and self-righteousness, as well as sexual sins, and then publicly declare pride in that sin is not only sad, but it's frightening in light of the prospect of God's judgment. And this taking place outside a church. He continues, it is picking a fight with Almighty God who has never lost a fight and never will. We don't need a pride month. We need a humility month in which we align ourselves with God, not against him, as we see in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, be clothed with humility. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time.
I've mentioned before, I meet with a group of gospel-preaching pastors. There's about 25 of us. This last time uh, we met, uh, one of my friends, his name is Steve Palm. He's the pastor of the Evangelical Free Church in Geneseo. A great guy, very bright. And he suggested for our discussion the last time we met... Uh, he used the metaphor of waves. Actually, before I get to that, as part of this group, uh, Doug Rowland, who pastors Rock Island Bible Church, is a member. Rock Island Bible Church is celebrating their five-year anniversary today, so <laughs> praise God for that. So back to our discussion the last time we met just a week ago. Here's the first question. What killer waves are about to crash in on the church. <laughs> now, you can imagine a group of pastors together. That was a lively discussion. <laughs> One big wave, obviously, is gender and sexuality issues. Another wave is the polarization in our culture, the tribalism taking place. There's another one that is horrifying, and it hits close to home for all of us. Are you aware that only 4% of Christians have a biblical world view? What? 4% of Christians have a biblical world view. See, we have trouble outside the church, don't we? But there's trouble inside the church with a capital C, that church, the church universal. And we need to address that. But the second question that was asked was this, what opportunity waves are coming our way? I suggested that people are looking for purpose and direction in their lives like never before. People are hungry. People have tried these alternate realities that don't satisfy, cannot satisfy, and they're like, that didn't work, and I just gave my life to that, and they're looking for hope and healing in Jesus Christ. And so I'm seeing that. That is an opportunity wave. I also offered an observation that was quite personal as I was thinking about my brothers and sisters here at Edgewood. And I see believers today with their Bibles open. Believers intent on learning what does the Bible say and how can I apply it to my life and how can God use me on mission among my neighbors and taking the gospel to the nations. We do provide sermon notes every week at both uh, entrances, at resource kiosk. Uh, we also have discussion questions, and a couple of the questions this week focus on these two waves. So one way to guard what we've been given is to make sure we're growing in our discipleship. This past week, I was at Vibrant Coffee House working on my sermon, and I saw two Edgewood women come in, Jana Bennett and Kinza Macklin. They gathered for intentional discipleship. Those two books they have in front of them are 13 chapters 
to ground believers in their faith, they will memorize 13 verses in the course of that study. And so when I saw them, I gave them encouragement, asked if I could take their picture. After they left, about an hour later, Angie Younger and Julie Clower showed up at Vibrant, and I went over and said, can I take your picture? Get this, they're in the same booth. <laughs> so I think we need to call that the discipleship booth over at Vibrant. Man, Pastor Kyle's doing a great job connecting those who want to be discipled with those who realize they've been entrusted with a deposit and they want to disciple others. We're calling that intentional discipleship, and some 80 people have been involved with that. If you are being prompted by the Holy Spirit to take what you know and pour it into somebody else, or if you're starting out in your faith and you're like, man, I got to figure out what Christianity is all about, contact Pastor Kyle. Part of our vision for this year is for everyone to be involved in a discipling relationship. I'm also excited to report that since our Group Connect weekend, we did that a couple months ago. We had a table set up in the lobby and in our, uh, our gym area, encouraging people to connect to a group. More than 100 people are now involved in new groups. And we have a total of 180 people in groups on Sunday mornings and 150 in midweek groups for a total of 330 people in groups. Praise God for that. In addition, we've started five new groups. So if you're looking to plug in, we have a group for you. Friends, take this seriously. Focus on good doctrine and be an example of faithfulness. Number three, don't fall away. Now, in order to underline the importance of following good doctrine and fortifying the good deposit, the Apostle Paul mentions how easy it is to compromise Biblical convictions. We're going to see now he gives some bad examples and he'll end with a good example. Verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. It was no secret that these two men had folded and many in that area started out strong and then didn't end very well. You can read about that in Revelation 2 and 3. So when Paul said, all who were in Asia turned away, he's describing that those who once burned bright for Jesus now are low. They're just living for themselves. That word Asia during that time refers to the area we know as Western Turkey. And young Timothy had been pastoring the church located in Ephesus, which was the largest city in that region. Incidentally, all seven churches that you read in, in Revelation 2 and 3 are from this part of the world in western Turkey. And women, if you want to learn more about that part of the world, that's what Kathleen Kehoe will be sharing about her trip this Thursday in the Edge Cafe. Uh, she was also able to connect with two of our young adults. Uh, that one young adult, EJ, will be here in two weeks uh, sharing what God has taught her. That phrase turned away is translated as deserters. Jesus pointed out that was a big problem. 
the church at Ephesus, Revelation 2, 4. But I have this against you that you have what? Abandoned your first love. They were pretty good doctrinally, but they had abandoned their love for Christ. Makes me think back to our series from Genesis where we learned that the enemy didn't tempt Adam and Eve to murder, to steal, or to lie. Instead, he tempted them to question the word of God. His tactics haven't changed much. So we don't know anything about Phygelus and Hermogenes, but they had to be very fairly well known for Paul to mention their names. They had to be known publicly, perhaps. They were leaders in the church at Ephesus, and they had now defected. You know, it was not uncommon for Paul to call out those who had turned away. In 2 Timothy, he mentions at least two people in every chapter. So in chapter 1, we have Phygelus and Hermogenes. In chapter 2, Hymenaeus and Philetus. In chapter 3, he refers to some magicians back in Moses' time, Janus and Jambres. And in chapter 4, he calls out Demas and Alexander. Wouldn't it be terrible to have your name recorded in Scripture? as one who once burned bright and now is just living for themselves. In fact, this is what's said about Demas. He's in love with this present world. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time when so-called Christians are deconstructing, deserting, de-churching, and denying the Lord Jesus Christ. I could name at least five well-known pastors and authors, if I said their names, you would recognize them, who've descended into rank apostasy and outright heresy. And sadly, as of February 2022, there were nearly 300,000 posts on Instagram using the hashtag deconstruction. Friends, that should trouble us but it should not surprise us. The Apostle Paul warned Timothy about this at least two other times. Turn back to 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will what? Depart. They'll depart from the faith. What will they do? They'll devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Look at chapter 4 of 2 Timothy We read this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they're like, I don't want to hear that. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers. That's all their podcast stream will be. Teachers who suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into myths. Now, perhaps you're thinking... That'll never happen to me. Uh, In 30 years as a pastor, I've seen it happen too many times to count. Disappointment can lead to desertion. Dating or marrying a non-Christian can cause you to leave your first love. The death of a loved one has caused some believers so much bitterness that they've chosen to no longer believe. Suffering 
or persecution can propel others to bail on their faith. I've seen it on the other end. Prosperity can cause people to turn away. Sports or other Sunday activities can cause people to abandon the Almighty and their commitment to gather with God's people. Friends, take this seriously. Focus on good doctrine and be an example of faithfulness. Number four, be faithful until the end. After Paul gives two negative examples, he lifts up a positive example. He gives props to a guy named Onesiphorus. Notice he often refreshed Paul that was used of bringing fresh air or cool water to someone. Uh, We experience that as a staff each week when Debbie Collins brings her world-famous freshly baked cookies on Tuesday afternoon. It's a refreshment. Secondly, he's not ashamed of Paul's chains. Most Christians had bailed on Paul. They're like, I don't know the guy. Not so with Onesiphorus. He was not ashamed of Christ or of fellow Christians. Notice he searched earnestly for Paul. Paul's in this like underground dungeon. It's dark. It's dirty. It's damp. He would have been cold and hungry and lonely. All of that is unlike his first imprisonment when he was chained to a guard and he was there for two years kind of under house arrest. He could write letters. Not so. He is on death row and he's about to be martyred. Notice next he a reputation for serving. We see that in the last phrase. You know, you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus, and Paul prayed for him to receive mercy. Would you notice it says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Paul was always thinking about that day. The day when Jesus would return. The day when the books will be opened. The day when unbelievers will be judged and believers will receive their rewards. This week, I came across a very sad quote from a well-known actor, a former governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was asked what happens when we die. This was his reply, and I quote, nothing. You're six feet under. Anyone who tells you something else is a blank liar. Schwarzenegger said he's uncomfortable with death, and he would prefer not to die. We'll see how that works out. And he said this, because he'll miss everything. Well, here's what I want to say to that. When Jesus said, I'll be back... (laughs) Come on, Dale. That was funny. (laughs) Dale's back there shaking his head. He (laughs) meant it. Jesus is coming back, and if we're not ready, we're in deep trouble because it's either heaven or hell, and it's for eternity. Friends, focus on good doctrine and then be an example of faithfulness. Here's a summary. Follow good doctrine. Fortify the good deposit. Don't fall away and be faithful until the end. Let's consider some ways we can apply this message. Is there someone God is asking you to show mercy to this week? Number two, if you're not saved yet, you need to be saved. If you're a believer and you're on the fence, you're bored with your faith, you're stalled out, friend, it is time to surrender to Jesus Christ, to be 100% committed to him. 
Number three, determine today to be faithful so you're ready when suffering comes tomorrow. Three and a half years ago, the sermon I preached on Dedication Sunday with all the excitement, our first time in this facility after our renovation, our remodel, here's the title of that sermon, Responding to Persecution. The first point we made was to embrace opposition, to keep speaking even when we're told not to. And here's some of what I said. It's still true today. We will continue to teach marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life. We will unapologetically declare life begins at conception and is therefore worthy of honor and protection. We will call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved. We will stand on the scriptures as the full and final revelation of God, no matter what others may think of us or do to us. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was put in prison for 12 years. You know his crime? Preaching the gospel. He was told he'd be let out if he promised not to preach again. Listen to his answer. If you let me out of prison today, I will preach again tomorrow by the grace of God. If I lie in jail till the moss grows on my eyelids, I will never conceal the truth which God has taught me. Friends, may that be said of us. 